Thank you for joining LTC DON Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Directors of Nursing Services, AADNS. I'm your host today, Rebecca, and I'm here with the PAC and Vice President of Curriculum Development, Amy Stewart, to discuss infection control issues that nursing home leaders are facing during the COVID-19 focused infection control surveys. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Rebecca. These are difficult days, and our topic today is a tough one given the fact that many nursing facilities have limited personal protective equipment to help with infection prevention. I know that each of you are doing the best that you can with the limited resources, and our thoughts are with you as we continue to navigate the days ahead. On June 1st, CMS published a new QSO memo titled COVID-19 Survey Activities, CARES Act Funding, Enhanced Enforcement for Infection Control Deficiencies, and Quality Improvement Activities in the Nursing Home. This memo outlines steps CMS is taking to protect vulnerable Americans in the healthcare facilities. CMS indicated that they are enhancing the penalties for non-compliance with infection control to provide greater accountability and consequences for failure to meet basic requirements. These enhanced enforcement actions are more significant for nursing homes with a history of past infection control deficiencies or those that have actual harm to residents or an immediate jeopardy level citation. My hope is that today's podcast will help provide information and tips that will help decrease the likelihood of citations during the COVID-19 infection control surveys, which will help facility leaders avoid enhanced penalties. Thank you, Amy. Let's dive right in. What are some of the common issues that facility leaders are facing during these surveys? That's a great question, Rebecca. Infection control-related citations are the number one deficiency cited across the country. The two most common concerns during the focused surveys are related to hand hygiene and donning and doffing the correct PPE. The CMS COVID-19 focused survey pathway guides surveyors through a number of questions about what they observe related to hand hygiene and PPE. I'd recommend that listeners download this form and use it as an audit tool to help identify areas of improvement. Facility leaders can use their findings to help put a plan in place to address these issues. CMS has indicated that surveyors will be looking closely at infection control practices, and we should prepare to have infection prevention and control practices scrutinized during all types of future surveys. For more information on the COVID-19 survey, I'd also recommend listeners tune in to the previous podcast, How to Prepare for the Focused Infection Control Survey by Denise Winsler on the specifics of the survey. For today, let's focus on the most common reasons for citations, hand hygiene and PPE use. Thank you, Amy. Have you noted any trends and issues related to hand hygiene? Rebecca, there are several trends. Let me list a few of the common issues with hand hygiene. Compliance with hand hygiene means staff wash their hands when appropriate and in the appropriate manner. To determine compliance, nurse leaders should be conducting audits to ensure staff know when and how to perform hand hygiene. For example, if hands are visibly soiled, do staff wash their hands instead of using hand sanitizer? Staff should know when to use hand sanitizer versus when they need to wash their hands. Staff should also know how long they need to wash their hands. 
The CDC recommends 20 seconds, but if your policy indicates a longer amount of time, say 30 seconds, then staff need to be observed washing their hands for 30 seconds. Other hand hygiene issues include not washing hands before and after glove use. For example, in one instance, a nurse completed wound care, removed her gloves, and then touched multiple surfaces in the room prior to washing her hands. Amy, how can facility leaders use this information to lessen their chance of survey issues related to hand hygiene? Rebecca, many facilities have a system in place to educate staff on how and when to conduct hand hygiene. This might be at an annual skills fair, for example, but they need to take this one step further and observe hand hygiene during day-to-day -day care. Observing staff in a classroom or lab setting is not the same as observing it during care delivery and when there are multiple distractions. When the surveyors observe hand hygiene, they are doing so by watching staff provide care. Nurse leaders should do the same so they can offer education on those missed hand hygiene opportunities. APACN recently published a hand hygiene competency tool and also a personal protective equipment donning and doffing competency tool. These tools can be located on the Coronavirus Updates and Essential Resources for LTPAC webpage. To find this, visit apacan.org slash coronavirus dash resources dash four dash LTPAC. Thank you, Amy. That sounds like a great resource to check out. Listeners, please stay tuned while we take a quick commercial break. Providing ongoing access to training has been proven to improve staff engagement, satisfaction, and retention. Both AADNS and its sister association, ANAC, offer affordable staff education options, such as recorded webinars and virtual workshops. To learn more, visit www.anac.org or www.aadns-ltc. Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion with Amy Stewart about infection control concerns during COVID-19 focused surveys. Amy, you mentioned some facilities are receiving citations related to personal protective equipment or PPE. Can you elaborate? Sure, Rebecca. In addition to hand hygiene related issues, facilities are also getting cited for infection control because of concerns related to PPE. And there are several different scenarios for getting cited related to PPE. So let me talk about a few of them. First of all, not having signage outside of the room instructing those entering what type of isolation the patient is on. In some instances, there was PPE outside of the room, but no signage. Staff need to know the type of isolation so that they can be sure to don proper PPE before entering. Another issue was staff not donning PPE because they weren't going to touch the resident. For example, a staff member entered the room to ask the patient a question, but didn't put on all the required PPE because she had no intention of coming close to the patient, let alone touching them. And then lastly, knowing the correct sequence for donning and doffing PPE. Amy, what tips do you have for our listeners regarding how to avoid citations related to PPE? Rebecca, we must ensure proper signage is in place for all patients in isolation. Staff also need to know the correct sequencing of putting on and removing PPE. 
The CDC offers guidance on this topic, and they have a very handy poster that nurse leaders can use to help educate staff. The proper sequence for putting on PPE is starting with a gown, fully cover the torso from the neck to the knees, arms to the end of the wrists, and wrap around the back, then fasten in the back of the neck and waist. Next, put on the mask or respirator, secure ties or elastic bands at the middle of the head and neck, fit the flexible band to the nose bridge. The mask or respirator should fit snug to the face and below the chin. If using a respirator, then these need to be fit tested. Next, put on goggles or a face shield. Place over your face and eyes and adjust to fit. And then lastly, gloves that extend to cover wrists of the isolation gown. Removal has the greatest risk for spreading the virus. Removal of PPE must be done inside of the room. For removal, you're gonna start by removing your gloves. The outside of the glove is contaminated. So staff need to grasp the outside of the glove with the opposite gloved hand and peel off. Hold the removed glove in the gloved hand. Slide your fingers of the ungloved hand under the remaining glove at the wrist. Peel the glove off over the first glove and discard it in the waste container. Next, remove the gown. Remember that the front and the sleeves of the gown are contaminated. Unfasten ties. Pull the gown away from the neck and shoulders, touching the inside of the gown only. Turn the gown inside out and fold or roll into a bundle and discard. The healthcare worker may now exit the room. Next, perform hand hygiene. Then remove the goggles or face shield. The outside of the goggles or face shield is contaminated. To remove, handle the headband or earpieces, then place in a designated receptacle for reprocessing or in the waste container. Lastly, remove the mask or respirator. The front of the mask or respirator is contaminated, so do not touch it. Grasp the bottom, then top ties or elastics and remove, then discard the mask in a waste container. Don't forget to wash your hands immediately when you are done with the process of removing all PPE. This is great information, Amy, thank you. Are there any other trends related to infection prevention and control citations you're seeing? Well, Rebecca, there are many. Here's just a few other issues that seem to be coming up during these surveys. First of all, lack of an emergency preparedness plan that addresses contingency staff when your regular staff is ill. Then there is the issue of staff not wearing masks or not wearing them properly. Issues related to communal dining or activities that do not allow for social distancing. Another issue is having a procedure for what to do when you suspect a resident is COVID-19 positive, but you do not have the positive test results back. Remember, putting them on a COVID unit without that positive test may actually expose them to COVID if that original test comes back negative. And then lastly, another issue is lack of an infection surveillance plan. Keep in mind that infection prevention and control program is in place to provide a safe, sanitary, and comfortable environment and to help prevent the development and transmission of communicable diseases and infections. This means you need to have policies in place that support this. 
Review your current policies and update them if needed. Also consider the need for new policies related to staff and visitor screening that follow national standards. Thank you, Amy. Do you have any final thoughts? Rebecca, I want to let listeners know that the QSO memo mentioned at the beginning of the podcast also indicates that the QIOs have been strategically refocused to assist nursing homes in combating COVID-19 through education and training, creating action plans based on infection control problem areas, and recommending steps to establish strong infection control and surveillance programs. I also want to remind listeners that we have a number of free resources and tools to help them during these difficult times. My thoughts are with each and every one of you. I know you've got this because you are all long-term care nurse heroes. Thank you so much, Amy. This information is very helpful. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse leaders, please visit our website at www.aadns-ltc.org. For more updates on regulation requirements and changes, you can follow Amy on Twitter at AmyS underscore AADNS and subscribe to the LTC DON chat podcast. 